us crazy humans, not some for me, some for you, cause life matters. Extreme love and wisdom is capable in all of us, cause life matters. And we come to the end of this week's Earth Riot Radio. This is Reverend Billy. I want to thank the editor, Jason Candler. I certainly want to thank Joan Baez and David Harris. David, thank you for your life, a passionate peace activist. The Wolf Howling and Jamie Dimon and his unconscious meteorological metaphor. Swimming the song by the Stop Shopping Choir with Cinder Ganglani, soloing Savitri in the news from the natural world. And Savitri, I want to thank Savitri D., our director, for this... Um, passionate call to the universe for love and protection from the people that killed Tortuguita down in the, the Wilani forest on the outskirts of Atlanta. The police financed by, in part, Jamie Dimon from the, from the J.P. Morgan Chase Bank. I'd like to also thank Layla Adu. Life matters. Layla wraps it up for us. Thank you, everybody. Will somebody give me and earth hallelujah Hi, I'm B.B. King. You know the guy that plays that guitar called Lucille. And when I'm in Portland, I get my blues from KBOO. That's 90.7 FM on your radio. Please stay tuned. They might play one of my records. Listening to KBOO's All Thrills No Frills Volume 2 Special Programming Campaign. Check out all the great special programs we're bringing to you in February and March at slash thrills. Help us reach our goal of $17,000 by March 25th. You can go to slash give or text us. Type in KBOO to the number 44321. For the thrill of it all, keep listening. Andy Wawa looks a scream. Andy Mona Woe. Andy Wawa silver scream. Can't tell them apart at My name's Joseph Gallivan. You're listening to Art Focus on KBOO Portland. My guest this week is artist Tarava Talabazand. She's a professor of art practice at Portland State University, and she's talking about her show called Tarava, which is on now in Minnesota at the McAllister College Law Washoe Gallery. Thanks very much for doing Art Focus in person, Tarava. Thank you for having me. You're in the news. Your show in a college gallery thousands of miles away, it was, a sh it was a whole bunch of your work from maybe 10, 15 years. It was a review show and then some students objected to some of the imagery and it caused a whole kerfuffle and they shut the gallery for the weekend and they tried to deal with the student objections. What I like about your work is it's kind of maximalist. It's a bit of neon it's like big voluptuous sculptures bright colors paintings it's a bit of everything but that's because it's a wide range of your career so tell us what were the particular objects that caused all the fuss yeah so the particular pieces were from my 
blasphemy series that I made over a decade ago that consisted of very meticulous graphite drawings made with mechanical pencil um, of a Iranian woman who is a writer and lives in the UK that I was very much inspired by, as well as a few sculptures also from the blasphemy series that are made from porcelain. Some are painted and they're of a woman wearing a hijab and exposing her breasts, which are obviously genetically modified, if I, if I would say, scientifically modified, um, talking about female, the, the body and the surgery that uh, so many women in the Middle East were actually undergoing that maybe a lot of people don't know about. At that time, I was researching imagery um, around that and at the same time, reading the book of Roxana Shirazi, the last living Iranian slut, who talks about her upbringing in Iran and her sexual trauma around that being in Iran and being oppressed by the Islamic regime and how she ended up being a rock and roll groupie. But in conversations with her, I was very moved by her story because you don't find a lot of Iranian women at that time really sharing their bodies in that way um, and sharing that very personal story and I thought that it was very empowering for me but also for me to share so I had her consent to make this series of drawings mm -hmm. of her that are found in her book as well so they're based on photos from the book yes so in in these graphite drawings she's that's a hijab right the full length Garment? Full length that covers all of the hair uh, and the entire body and sometimes even um, over the mouth but mm -hmm. in these drawings it's only mostly covering her hair for sure and then in one she is opening it up revealing lingerie mm -hmm. and then the second one she's lifting up only partially up one leg revealing her underwear while flipping the viewer off. Mm -hmm. Right, yeah, and she's in a kind of a corner. Looks like a club or something. There's a lot of graffiti. graffiti. <laughs> yeah, and then the um, the porcelain sculptures, it's a woman with like accentuated breasts. It, it looks like a kind of a ceramic religious figure you could buy, you know, as a tourist in Italy or somewhere like that. But she's wearing a hijab. Her breasts are exposed. The rest of the garment comes around her legs, so covering everything else up and then she's on a little podium. And some of them you've kind of um, airbrushed with glazed paints, so they're brightly colored. You put rings around the breasts. You've done sort of lots of modification, but one of them is just stark white ceramic, like matte, pure ceramic. Yes, the first version of this, which is actually titled <clears throat> Petatique, but it is still part of the Blasphemy series, I made with porcelain. I really loved the softness of that very stark white material. I thought that removing any other type of color from it was quite strong, but I made this into a mold. So after you make 50 or 100 of them, you start to play around with different versions. And so I did use uh, hand painting with glazes and airbrushing um, also to give it that very gloss, very high color, um, really kind of pronouncing. Some of the imagery has to do with the taboos between Eastern and Western cultures and those almost psychedelic rings of circles around the breasts are coming from the images that you find on Iranian currency that radiate behind Khomeini's face. Oh. Right. So it's kind of like a target 
But if you do make that connection, it's really a reminder of the um, oppression and the rules that are really made upon women in uh, Iran. Mm -hmm. So this is work from a few years ago. It's sort of feminist. It's sort of anti the Islamic Republic kind of dominance. But then these students in Minnesota, so this show opened January 27th this year right. and it ends March 12th. 12th. So these students saw it and Muslim students and they objected or, or maybe one of them objected. What happened? Well, I found out that there were very few students, I believe one or two that had issues with these specific pieces in the show and had written a letter to the gallery and the institution demanding that the works be removed and the and the exhibition to be closed or else they'll go to the press. Well, and here we are talking, right? <laughs> I think they got what they want. <laughs> um, and so the institution thought that it was best next steps to have a pause, close the gallery for the remaining week through the weekend so they can have conversations with the students and also inviting the Muslim Students Association to have a conversation about how they feel and what their needs and wants would be. After that, I was not contacted anymore. I, there was no follow-up as to those conversations with those students. But from what I've heard from students and faculty who have been emailing me that the conversation was quite closed. It wasn't like other community students of the community were invited to this conversation. Um, and the students that felt hurt and were very emotional about the work were not happy with the decision of the gallery reopening and thus created a petition that is on the door of the gallery that lets people know to not enter the gallery and to sign up for this petition to close the exhibition. Mm. The gallery put a sign on the door saying content Morning. might upset you and students or somebody else stuck a similar note is next to it then, saying what? Right next <clears throat> to it saying do not enter the works involve this and that and a QR code for a petition mm. that if you actually go to the QR code, you have to request access. So it's actually even limiting for mm. people to sign up or sign in or even look at the petition. Um, but what was really, what really struck me after the pause and closure of the gallery was the decision made to add the black curtains over all of the windows, both at the mezzanine on the second floor and the main floor at the gallery. That was So, so this discussed. is McAllister College they have a gallery just like PSU has the Jordan Schnitzer. Right. It's got big windows and they just sort of cover them up so no one walking by in the building or on the street would, would catch a glimpse. The windows are actually only inside of the building. So you can't actually see the gallery or the show from outside. So this is really just for the community and the students and the faculty that had these curtains up through the closure of the gallery that week and weekend. Mm -hmm. um, but like I said, that wasn't I was never notified or it wasn't brought up to me or discussed and mm -hmm. I thought that at first kind of comical but then really unethical to Co put up. Comical irony of black <laughs> curtains about hijab art. Right. And then unethical in the sense they never asked you. Correct, yeah. Right. That they never asked me and also unethical because the main piece that was seen is the neon woman life freedom which is about the protests and the human rights um, fight that women and now a majority of Iranians are really fighting against the Islamic mm -hmm. regime. So that's a yellow neon, it says woman, life, freedom, 
And then in Farsi, the same thing? Yeah, it's in the colors of the Iranian flag, green, white, and red, but the neon's oh, okay. been blacked out, so it's actually all black, but the neon colors radiate on the wall oh, okay. of the colors. Right. So to literally veil the windows, you're veiling on top of a protest that's about, it's against the veil. Yeah. <laughs> it's absurd. So before the show even went up, you were like, oh, what if they don't like my Muhammad meets Jesus painting, which was pretty old, and it was too, a teddy bear meeting a Ken doll. Muhammad is a teddy bear. It's from a news story that happened in East Africa. And, you know, it's like, it's not very obvious. I mean, yeah. If it wasn't called Muhammad meets Jesus, you know, no one's No one would ever know. No yeah. one would be getting really angry. Right. So you were worried about that, and what happened? Well, I wasn't really worried about that. I think it was mostly the gallery director and had brought that up to me several weeks before I arrived at the college. She shared with me what had happened at Hamlin last year in, in October of 2022 that an art historian teacher had basically got fired for sharing an image of the Prophet Muhammad that was a part of a 13th century Persian miniature during a lecture um, and Muslim students had pushed back on that. So she shared with me that article and we discussed, okay, well there is a painting titled Muhammad Meets Jesus and could this be you know, pushed back mm -hmm. uh, uh, by maybe some of the students at mm -hmm. McAllister? So we really had that conversation for quite a while and we were prepared for, for that, but we also spoke to the chair who decided that there's no way that they were going to censor my show and my work and that everything needs to be seen, everything was agreed upon, mm -hmm. and that this is supposed to promote conversations in higher education. So allow the students to see for themselves and ask the questions and have that kind of open communication um, in the classroom and in the gallery. Mm -hmm. And it was interesting because when I did install my works. I had several classes, students and teachers come in to the space while I was installing. And I, I created a bit of a test for these students because the wall labels were not um, put up yet. So I asked them to approach this painting and describe what you see. And everyone described, well, there's two toys here, a teddy bear and a, a naked, very tan Ken doll. Um, and, but then when I shared with them what the title was, it was interesting for them to be like, oh, I see where you're going with this now, that you can, the, the, the visual language can say this, but a title can be so loaded. It can really offer so much more context and meaning um, to the artwork. So I was really talking about being very mindful about titles. And that mm. is a piece of information that your audience and your viewers can really attach to. You know, it's kind of like a clue. So I wanted the students to really consider that, but at the same time, we all knew the situation at Hamlin because it was literally just six minutes away from the McAllister oh, College. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so at that point, there didn't seem to be any problems with the painting, especially with those students that came into the space or the faculty or the staff. They so, were art students though, right? They were art students. So they're kind of ready for anything. So who are the students objecting to, you know, the blasphemy works? So I know that these students are Muslim, but they are also Somalian. So they're Somali Muslim students, which to be honest, I had no idea of such a large Somali 
community in Minnesota. But of course, after doing due diligence here, I've, I've realized that there is quite a large number of refugees that um, reside in Minnesota. And so now I'm not really surprised that that had come up. But if I had known, would I still include the works? Yeah, I probably would have. I don't think I, I stand behind my work. I don't regret what I've made. I think there is a still a, a very important and educational kind of conversations that can come out of were this. Were they art students? I believe they were art students because again, you have to be in that building. That building oh, okay. is the art department. Yeah. yeah. Right. Their objection was they wanted to shut it down for everyone rather than just not go themselves. Right. They found it, quote, they were hurt and they felt harmed and insulted because the image is showing a woman wearing a hijab, what they wear. And so they were afraid that people would see this work and see them and sexualize them for oh, what yeah. they wear. Yeah. Right. I read that. Yeah. They, they were like saying there's porn just like this right and so they came up with the term non-consensual viewing which i thought was really interesting you know because you, you i mean we all know that you just look away but you, you drive down the street and you can't get away from seeing a billboard for a strip club for example or you know having images of women that are not covered up to meet their demands for example so then what do they do about that? But I think because it was on campus and in their institution, uh, they felt really empowered to push back. And I have to be honest, I do have compassion for them. Like they have a right to feel and that's great. I mean, how can, that's the whole point for me about creating work is to, for people to come at it at, with their own associations, with their own ideas, their own emotions. I have to let go of that once I finish the work and have it for the public to view and to see. So I, f I definitely feel their, their feelings are valid, but I was contracted to show these works and it wasn't a surprise from the institution, from the art department. And so that's why I kind of feel that um, a bit hurt myself, I guess you can say, because of, of how the institution went about veiling the windows, for example, and just really the, 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 the continued censorship in a lot of ways of the show, even though it is really still open for the public mm -hmm. through March. Um, like, for example, when they finally took off the black curtains, because I had really requested and demanded that, <laughs> that they put up frosted decals mm -hmm. on the windows upstairs so that you can't see inside again for the non-consensual viewing um i think that a content warning is enough on the door and i agreed upon that but that wasn't easy either because the first written consent um, warning described my work as being violent or dealing with violence and that really was upsetting because i'd never heard my work revolving around the idea of violence so I had to send them a language that I was comfortable with in describing my work and they did end up changing it to that. My name is Joseph Gallivan. You're listening to Art Focus on KBOO Portland. My guest this week is Taravat Talapazand. She is an artist and professor of art practice at Portland State University and she's talking about her show Taravat which is on at McAllister College in St. Paul, Minnesota through March 12th. Some of your work is violent. I mean, you've got like people <laughs> chopping heads off. And, 
I mean, stabbing you know. white devils. <laughs> but all of that work is part of art history, really. Right. You know, most of those images are made in miniatures in the 13th century, and the, or the one with um, someone's like sitting on a on a a devil. She's chopped his leg off, and she's hacking away at his arms. I think. And um, you put a woman's head on it. Was it was another prophet, right? No. So that was actually the book of the Shahamat. So it's the Book of Kings is oh, the name right. of it, yeah. and it's a collection of these beautiful Persian miniatures that are. I have to 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 describe for your listeners. They're very illustrative, right? So we're not imagining or seeing here very beautiful, detailed Renaissance paintings. These are really illustrative, in a lot of ways, sometimes can be even cartoonish. But they imagery. go in the text, right? But they go, yes, okay. they go in the text, yeah. yeah. And so the king is slaying the white devil. Mm -hmm. There's several of these miniatures that exist in the Book of Kings. I literally appropriated it and just added a Persian miniature of a woman taking that power and slaying the white devil. And you slapped her on a, a row of um, 2,000 real Iranian currency. Uh, currency yeah. So what's interesting about that is that because of the sanctions against Iran, the currency has no value. Um, there is a big economic crash um, in Iran that has been happening for you know about over a decade now. So the currency has no values. That means in the United States, by law, you cannot deface, render, burn, change a currency that has value. Mm -hmm. But if it doesn't have value, mm -hmm. it's simply paper. So I glued them together, created a sheet of paper that I can paint on. And oh, you on, painted directly? Directly on them. And so it's two-sided. So on one side, you see uh, the landscape, and the other side is Khomeini's face. And on the last row, I dosed the watermark, which is Khomeini's face, in several hits of LSD. Basically giving more value back to the real than it would ever be worth if we didn't have sanctions. Mm -hmm. That's my, my little political twist to it. <laughs> <laughs> the, the other violent one is a guy, sort of a guy in a waistcoat and, you know, like a shirt. He's got this sword with two prongs on it and he's just chopped the heads of two women off mm. on, on a log stump kind of thing. And then it says in Russian on a death to bitches. Mm -hmm. And that's uh, like a Russian prison tattoo. Yes. Right? This is people get a tattoo of what they did to get into prison. Right, I had learned about these Russian tattoos and this one specific story about a man who was serving life for killing two women that he felt didn't belong in his town. Were they immigrants? Were they refugees? Perhaps. And that to me uh, really inspired me to think about the women in Iran who feel unsafe and are also controlled by whether it be their fathers, their uncles, their brothers, who have been sometimes, you know, stoned to death by mm -hmm. their own male family members. And I basically re recreated that into my own visual language, but I kept the Russian saying death to bitches. I thought that was very interesting. There is this closeness between Russia and Iran. I mean, we're seeing that today with what's happening in Ukraine and Russia and Iran actually supporting Russia. So. It's really interesting to see a lot of these works kind of come back full circle. It's a good reminder of what has happened and what can continue to happen as well. Can you explain a bit about campus life? I mean, you work at PSU. These students are at a sort of, is it a liberal arts school, McAllister? 
Yes, it is. A yeah. private liberal arts private school. Private school, yeah. Mm -hmm. So someone objects, you know, this offends my religion, and somebody else says, this makes me feel unsafe, and someone else says something else. How do you, how do you negotiate, like, who, who wins? Who, who gets to shut down the art? Who gets to be heard? I think that's the question and the conversation that people are having in real time now not just around what's happening with my exhibition, but just for many reasons in institutions. There is what is called DEI, which is diversity, equity, inclusion. That's a really big deal in institutions, um, and, and which it should be. And I think that it is really great that we're having those conversations. But sometimes, like this situation, something could be said that a quick decision is made, and I don't think that the conversations are being made enough to make the right decisions. Uh, I think that if there isn't a protocol, well then create it. What would be the next best steps? And for me, I personally would like to have an art historian or some type of moderator, you know, invited to talk about the work, maybe further giving context about the work besides myself to kind of create this a, a safe kind of mediation, mm -hmm. I guess you can say, um, or inviting other students that are either part of the department that are you know, interested in having a conversation about what was said, what is being objected or objectified. I think that in institutions in higher education, we're supposed to promote critical thinking and dialogue. And sometimes I'm really afraid that that's getting lost. Mm -hmm. And as much as I am impressed by this younger generation that are you know, fists in the air and you know, calling out their pronouns and really fighting for human rights and just injustices i also think that the conversations aren't really being had enough and i'm a very passionate advocate of racial and social justice who is also invested in making sure diverse students are respected and that an environment is created in which they feel they belong and are recognized so i wonder if it'd be interesting, you know, to like further that this kind of conversation and how can we both keep our students safe and engaged amongst themselves and with the staff members and faculty. I think that there's so much that we can learn in this. I know I have a lot of lessons in this situation that I'm going to be taking with me into my, in, into my career, but I also take it in my classes. We're already having these conversations mm -hmm. and I'm dealing with a wonderful diverse group of students here at Portland State University and I, I hope that we can generate these conversations and be able to both make work and have conversations that are really important both what is happening currently but what we can kind of take with us into the future. Mm -hmm. And you teach your students here that there's no such thing as bad publicity <laughs> for an artist. Well you know good press, bad press is press. <laughs> I mean, but what do you tell them? Be ready for it. Be ready for it. Yeah, you know that like I think it's really important for students to really think about their intentions behind their work. I get it. Sometimes it's just a feeling and 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 that's what you're channeling in your work at that time. But there might be a point, like look at me for example, that you're going to be sharing your work years later and you're going to have to add context to that. You're going to have to talk about it. You're going to have to give a lecture about it. You're going to have to write about it. So you better be damn sure that that's what you want to make. So I really love sharing with my students just my personal experience in working with galleries, showing in art fairs, working with curators and collectors. There's the good, the bad, the evil, there are all of that. And I think it's great when you know to prepare yourself.
the only thing that I really have to say is that representation matters. Representation matters. I think as artists, it's really amazing that we get to use a visual language to talk about you know, bigger issues and things that might not be very easy to write about or even explain with our own voices. But the visual language is so strong and holds a lot of weight. And I do feel like it's really important that we continue to represent people, places and things that are just a part of our lives and a part of our human experience. You mean representation like in the art sense? Like, representation like or, or I'm going to make DEI sense. Well, everyone gets heard. I mean, I guess a little bit of both. Um, but I'm mostly talking about like the images of women that I'm finding and then I'm bringing into my work. I'm that's that is a representation of who these women are, um, and 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 how they're proclaiming their power in their bodies. And I think that representation is really important. Um, and you know, as much as representation from other cultures. So yes, I think it does fall into the DEI category as well. And I, and I really hope that we continue to make work that reminds us. I mean, that's, I think, why art really spoke to me as a young child when I would go into a museum and I felt like I was learning about history in a way that the books didn't allow me to at the time. And that's why I really wanted to make my life effort to paint and, and create works that can be seen and that can be you know, reminded from those, you know, after me of the times that we live in and what is happening, you know, and, and what does, a, what is, what, what does, you know, feminist work or a woman from Iran make work about? What does that look like, right? Because for me, when I was younger, all I had was Shireen Nishat and I didn't connect with her work so much because I didn't want to see just the black veils and women holding guns and burial grounds and it makes sense for her because she has lost a country it absolutely makes sense but for me and the generation after me it doesn't so much so i felt like there was a gap and i wanted to fill that gap and and that's what my fo my, my work is really focusing on is to really kind of share the many different ways and 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 lives of women that are part of this diaspora my name is Joseph Gallivan. You've been listening to Art Focus on KBOO Portland. My guest this week was Taravat Talapazand. She is an artist and professor of art practice at Portland State University. Her show Taravat is on now through March 12th at the Law Warshaw Gallery at McAllister College in St. Paul, Minnesota. Thanks very much for doing Art Focus in person. Caravan. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much for giving your time and space and all of you listeners lending your ears. I really appreciate it. Andy Warhol looks a scream. Hang him on my wall. Andy Warhol, silver scream. Can't tell them apart at all. Portland.
bienvenidos a un breve informativo en su estación comunitaria KBOO 90.7 FM. Hoy martes 21 de febrero del 2023. En 